Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pals Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ricky Liorti. And I'm Danielle Galarno. And this week, before we get into our episode with Sam, we are going to talk about some exciting things happening in my life, Danny's life, and the world. Danny, why don't you start us off? Because last week, there was... we. Completely forgot about this, but there was something very important. It was the Super Bowl of reality TV show last you week. You just took the words out of my mouth because that's everyone, that's it what everyone says on TikTok was truly okay, a bit underwhelming. Well, first off, say what in it the is. sense, so it's the Vanderpump Rules reunion. Um, I had a little party at my house, a little watch reunion party, so that was actually a lot of fun. I had everyone come over. We made pumptinis. What's a pumptini? It's like a signature drink at one of the restaurants and one of the like DJ James Kennedy in like earlier seasons. He gets like mad at people and he's like, Pumptaney. So it just becomes like this like ongoing thing. Sure, okay. Um It's one of those things you have to watch it to get it, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. And so that was fun. We made like the signature goat cheese balls that they have at all the restaurants. Okay. Did you have it when you went to LA? Yes. Oh, but I had the ones at Tom Tom, the ones that are apparently like the best are at Sir. Okay. But didn't go there. But a little underwhelming in the sense that we watched so many clips beforehand. And like the one thing I have to say is that everyone on the show has been on podcasts and has spoken out to people that like it you ruins know what's going to happen. It ruins the excitement. Like obviously like, they're still great. Like watching it's fun. But it like ruined the excitement a bit because it's like, hey, okay, I felt I already know this. There was a couple things that irritated the living hell out of us. But altogether, I'm so excited for Wednesday because... Reunion part two comes out. Okay, what was the biggest like the biggest wow factor from the first episode of the reunion? So spoiler alert, spoiler alert, Vanderpump Rules, reunion, whatever. Spoiler. Okay, what was the biggest thing that Um, I'm like it's not like a complete like again, like it was all just talking about Scandaval. Like you know what Scandaval is, right? That's the guy that nobody likes, right? Well, do you know why no one likes him? Because he cheated on his pregnant wife or something? No, 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 no. So he's been with a girl on the show for ten years. Ariana. Ariana. Okay, now I'm going to step back a second. Raquel and James... This intro is going to be long. Yeah, it's going to be long. Because this is is my time. It's up. Raquel and James dated a couple years ago for like five years, let's say. I don't know exactly their timeline, but around then. They got engaged last May. Tom helped James with the engagement. And they did like a Raychella. Okay? Also, her name's Rachel, not Raquel. She's fake. They broke off that engagement right after the finale, like air, like the re- during the reunion, right before the reunion, broke it off. Find out this March, Tom was having an affair with Raquel, who is Ariana's best friend. So why doesn't everybody hate Raquel then? They do. Oh, everyone hates Raquel too. Despises. She's oh. like. Oh, because uh, I only hear people hating on Tom. No, have you not heard like Rachel? Like no. It's just like Tom, like they're both up shit. And like Tom was friends with James. Okay. Raquel was friends with Ariana. I, like, think, I, I think I just need to watch this. But show. like James is actually the funniest person. Like he's like, you're warm with a mustache. Like have you ever seen those jokes? Or like the first part of the reunion. He's like, poo poo head. That's why I call you every day and I'm like, poo poo head. Didn't, didn't know any of this. But it's just better because he's British. Like anything he says is just so much better. I think I'm just going to watch. I think. It's worth it. Maybe this winter I'll, I'll just binge the whole like, thing. Like Vicky was the only one. Her and Vassals were the only two people that didn't watch the show. And did they enjoy themselves at the reunion party? Yeah. Like I think they enjoyed more watching us get into it because okay, we were sure. like screaming the whole time. But I had one rule, like no questions. Like that's fair. No talk during yeah. commercials. Like I want to watch this. We all want to watch it. 
Becca was so funny. She like went mute. I had to like process it. And then afterwards she spoke like, so it's this a lot. Is a big thing. Yeah. This really is a Super Bowl for women. Yeah. For, sorry, not for women, for reality TV show lovers. Yeah, for anyone. Paul T is like obsessed. Okay. So he came over. He's the one who asked me to have people over. I love this for you, Danny. But it was a lot of fun. And even just to preface this, I was like, Danny, we're going to do, we'll talk about my week, your week. I don't really do too much this week. You had a big, a big day, a big night for you. Yeah, like I left work early. I had to like go prep. I was like prepping for two days. All right. There you go. And now it's like, hey, like week two's now. So like I'm like I'm still excited, but it's just not the same. But we just don't know what's gonna happen. Apparently there's like a big like shocker next week. Of course, that's what all the commercials probably say. Yeah, and if there isn't, I'll be pissed. Okay. Like I need some sort of big drop. Like they haven't even re-signed cast for next season yet. So because they're waiting, for they're waiting for the drop to happen. Okay. Because a lot of people haven't seen it or they're just recently watching it. So some cast might not want to come back. Funny enough, I was actually like talking to a friend and they're like, who's a producer. And he was saying that there might be like more spinoffs coming from. I can see it. The show's that big. Right? Vanderpump. It is. It is the biggest. It's the, it's not the Van- Kardashian like, show. I'm just going to say like Vanderpump. Like I can't say details, but there's going to be some sort of spinoff. Maybe it doesn't have to do with the show. It's completely different, but. It's like the Kardashians. This is literally the biggest thing on reality TV right now. Well, it's Bravo. And like, it's actually, if you watch back, because I watched back all the seasons again too. It's really trash TV. But it's like the most entertaining thing in the world. Someone once told me reality TV shows, are, it's like watching a train crash. You know what's going to happen. You know it's terrible, but you can't take your eyes off it. Yeah. And it's amazing. But it's also like, it's like basically watching entertainment and drama and gossip without having to be a part of it and you just get to judge it which is like technically not right but it's like i don't have to be in their drama it's like you can laugh at someone else's misery unfortunately all right all right babe. but like i want to be in it i was never a reality <laughs> show tv a reality tv show person i was but then during covid i couldn't watch like real serious shows and i needed like fluff tv yeah that's fair so like that became my fluff tv is just like bravo is the best friend like best network for fluff tv oh my god all right but yeah how's your week uh not as exciting as yeah, mine <laughs> apparently not as exciting as yours i didn't do too much i was injured so i didn't really get to train much playing a pickleball tournament got my ass handed to me that's always fun how would you place we we played we played pretty well actually um but just everybody else was better than us that's it. There's there's no reason. There's no excuses. Everyone was just better than us. So we went zero and five. We didn't win a single fucking. Match. I'm gonna like bring this back to a year ago when you were probably sitting on this podcast with George and you were like, "I'm gonna go to the Olympics because I'm amazing at pickleball and I'm perfect." I did. I didn't say that. Basically, if I quit my job and trained every single day for the next five years, there's a chance I can make the pickleball Olympics. But that's not gonna happen. No, because I have a job and I need my job to to afford this. So for the stupid podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I suck at pickleball. Uh, if you don't know, I bought a team. We're going to be drafting in a couple weeks. The tryouts are this weekend, basically, in Ottawa. That's cool. Uh, other than that, it was, it was a very quiet week for me. I skipped mum brunch because I tweaked my neck yesterday again. Uh, it wasn't as bad, but unfortunately, I missed it. And that was a Sunday fun that I really wanted to go to. It looked like a lot of fun. Shout out to Ollie. I'll, like, always shout out to Ollie. And the people at Parlor, Dear Lady, the whole family It looked there. a lot of fun. Yeah, great people. If you haven't been to Dear Lady or Parlor, uh, highly recommend it. Dear Lady, it's fairly new, but it's open Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. 
it's more of a, um, it gives you that New York kind of club vibe where it's not a club with like a big dance floor, kind of like a toy box or like a circa or something like that. But you the New York vibe in a sense where it's, you still do bottle service. There's good music, good lighting, good sound, but there's a lot of places to like sit. You can go to the bar and have a drink at the bar. They have good cocktails. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. For me, cause I get, I feel like there's no like, like club clubs anymore. You go to New York, there's no like real clubs. Well, there is. Marquee. There's way more clubs there than I would say in Toronto there is right now. It's a bigger city, right? Yeah, but like in New York, you still have like One Oak, Marquee, 44. I think it's called 44. There's three. No, no, there's other ones. And then in Toronto, there's still like a good amount of like... Actually, I guess there's a handful too, right? I just feel like the era of like clubs going more into like bar lounges. And I think that's just with like... I don't know if it's our age group or... No, but that's also like Parlor now. Parlor is that like supper club... It's more of a, a chill supper club kind of vibe, right? You can go there, you can have good pizza, good cocktails, and then 11 o'clock rolls around, people get up, start dancing, start mingling. Again, there's no real dance floor there, but it's just a good vibe. Yeah. Anyways, you guys, dear lady, parlor family, Ollie, love you guys. You guys are amazing. Much love to all of you. The next big event is Hello Sunday. This is free promo, but we love you guys, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Uh, Hello Sunday at dear lady, uh, sorry, at parlor. So let me say that again. Hello Sunday at Parlor, Sunday, June 11th. So basically in two weeks, Shep's playing. Ryan Shepard, a three times pal. We got to get Shep back on the pod that day before that episode. Okay. Anyway, Shep, we love you too. So check that out. And other than that, honestly, let's get into it. Let's talk about Sam. That Was that your first episode back? Or no, Sarah was your first episode. No, no, no. Sam was my first episode back. I wasn't on camera. I was just behind, so I didn't talk a lot. Or that was a fun one, But it was really fun. He's like... Started a like e-commerce business, uh, but he based it basically called. called Commerce Bear, a little bear right here. Um, but he basically came like he was always in the furniture industry. His dad was in the furniture industry, and he just wanted to kind of kind of put his touch on it. Put his touch on it, like and like he found a way to to grow. To I guess I guess expand on his dad's business in a different in a different light. Instead of just making furniture himself, he decided to kind of take it another step using tech using. It's kind like putting like, a 2022 2023 spin on family business. On a family business and also like furniture. Like that's the one thing like you listen to him speak about furniture and he even says like you think it's such a dull boring industry but listening to him speak about it I was like oh my god like I'm into this. Like yeah. let me go like I just hearing the story I want to go furniture shopping. <laughs> every son of a business owner actually not every son but I'd say about half of them don't think they're going to follow in their father's footsteps. Or their mother's footsteps, right? Like, I never thought I was going to go in construction. George, actually, George is different because George kind of always knew he was going to go into cleaning. But George and Sam are very similar in their, like, mindsets, too, which is interesting. So, interesting I said that because George. Um, but, yeah, take a listen. Enjoy. This was a fun one. Sam, we appreciate you. This bear's actually still been in my condo since you were here about three weeks ago. I got the stickers on my luggage, too. So, we appreciate you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for being one of the pals. And, Danny, what do we say? Let's go. <laughs> oh, I messed that up again. So wait, you went to Dow before it was popular? I mean, when I went to Dow, I think I was the one of two people in my entire graduating class that showed up on the East Coast and said, hey, I'm here to study. No one did it. Wait, Dow's in P- no, Halifax. Halifax. Halifax, Nova Scotia. Yeah. I was just there. 
Yeah. That's How why. was it? I How didn't visit Dalda. Wait, didn't you go with your parents? Yeah, we went for Easter. That was the cutest thing I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, um, we weren't originally supposed to go because I just had a nephew. Uh, I didn't have my brother just had a baby. So Ma- I have, I Mazel tov. Have, yeah, thanks. I have a nephew. And it was going to be his first Easter, so we decided to stay. And then uh, we had a death in the family, so my brother and his wife uh, and the baby all went to Holland for the, the funeral. So I was like, hey, mom, dad, like, let's fucking go. And we decided to go in Halifax. We've never been. It was cheap. It was like dirt cheap to go out there. I think the whole trip for three of us. Trip, flight, hotels, everything, food, everything was like two grand. Like all three of us for three nights, flights, hotels, everything. I'm like, that's... Not even one person goes to Vegas for that half of that price. Here's the ultimate question I like asking people when they go for a first time is would you return? That's the test, right? Not, it's, it's not the return test. I would, I would not return anytime soon in the current situation I'm in. Like a single guy, you know, going out there just to see it. I saw it. It was cool. Am I going out there again? No. But when I have a family, like I would love to take them there and just like, you know, Pier 21 is it called? I mean, huge. Yeah, like yeah, I like, think I think a million plus Canadians came yeah, through there. So seeing that, it was nice. Like it's cool to walk around. It was a good cheap trip. Uh, but would I go back again on a long weekend or like when I have a chance to plan a vacation? No, I would not. Yeah, straight up. So. It's a it's a university town. It's a government town. Yeah. I haven't been back for ten years since I graduated in 2014. Um, crazy story because I had committed to play soccer for the Redmond um, at McGill. Okay. And I'm like, I'm super fired up to go, you know, study in Montreal. It's close enough that I could drive home to yeah, Toronto. Four and a half hours, five and hours. like, frankly, at the time, the McGill soccer team played in the Alouette Stadium. So like 18 year old kid, That's 17, hype. Yeah. Yeah, 17, 18 year old kid from Toronto wants to go play like it was CIS at the time, D1. Now it's called like U Sports. They rebranded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Questionable rebrand, but hey. Um, <laughs> so I, I was committed to McGill, super fired up. And I think a family friend at a dinner put Halifax on my mom's radar. And my parents are first-gen Canadians from Amsterdam, so they don't know anything about the U.S. Wait, so you're Dutch? Fluently. I like, didn't know that. So, so that's my yeah. brother's... So my sister-in-law is Dutch. Okay. So that's why they had to go back to Holland because it was her grandmother that passed. Mm. That's why I had no idea you were Dutch. Yeah, I mean, like, born here in Toronto. It's so funny. But, anybody, anyone who says they're Jewish, you just think they, they're from Israel. You're like, forget that Jewish is a religion, it's not a place. hundred huge misconception yeah. exactly exactly so like are, danny you're looking at me like i'm stupid or something most people think that yeah i would most people do most people and also like my family like we're we're dark curl curly like brown eyes like i could be greek i could be italian so when i tell people that like we are 100 percent like dutch as far back as you can go they just don't understand and like they're trying to compute how a religion can be an ethnicity and a religion at the same time and i'm like i swear it makes sense they're like you don't look dutch i'm like well I don't know what to tell you, pal. Like, it is what it is. That's Chris. So what? I guess this is a completely random question. But why are you guys Jewish? I'm like, what's... What usually most Jewish people kind of descended from Israel, but... I'm sure at some point, like, we have an ancestor. Oh, okay. Like, I'm okay. sure, like, one of Moses' disciples is probably related to me in some capacity, okay. but, like... Man, that's crazy, though. There's, Europe had a huge, huge Jewish population, yeah. like, leading into the Second World War. They still do today, but, like, it was just a huge central hub of Judaism. I didn't yeah, know that. I yeah. didn't know Amsterdam was or uh, Netherlands was a big Jewish. Hub. It was, it was, it was big back in the day. Not as much anymore. Like the community is tiny, but yeah. All right. Well, there you can, go. sorry. Continue the story though. We're, oh, good. What were, we, at, what were we talking about? Much we went on like Ricky's a complete soccer, right and now. then someone put Halifax on your mom's yeah. radar. So my parents are like not from here, right? So they're I'm the first 
born of like three kids. So like they're experiencing the whole US Canadian college situation for the first time. So they're learning as they're going. Are you the eldest? I'm the oldest. So I have two younger sisters and I'm the oldest. So I'm like the guinea pig for first generation European parents. I don't know if you can relate. I can imagine. Well, like my parents were pretty chill, but I can imagine. They, they were chill, but like Dutch parents from Amsterdam specifically are like the most liberal parents on the planet and they're open to everything. And uh, my mom's like, we should go out to Halifax and check it out. I'm like, mom, I committed. Like I'm fired up to go play here. The coach seems like a nice dude. The team's good. Like, and I get the position where you, what do you think? Striker. Yeah. Nailed it. Okay. Keep the mic a bit closer too. Where do you want the mic? Like here? Just a bit closer. Yeah. Like even that, that closer. Yeah. Okay. Done. <laughs> Done. Well, continue, continue. So anyway, went to, went to Dal and have you been to the Dal campus ever? No. So you, there, it's really cool. Cause you can see the Atlantic ocean from campus and that sold me like, that's, that's it. Fair. No, I, I get the appeal of it. Like and right it, on the water. You're, you're on the ocean. Never mind the water. You're on the ocean. You're on the ocean. Like how many campuses in Canada are, are literally on the Atlantic or the Pacific? Not many. There's got to be one in, B, in, uh, in University BC. of BC. Is it on the water? I think so. I'm sure there's a few, but there's not yeah, many. Yeah. No, I think and so. It, I think and it was right. just cool. They had a good soccer program at the time. And also like being that far away from the family is kind of cool if you want to get out of the house after high school. That's fair. Yeah. So you went out there. Went out there, played soccer for a couple of years, um, came back to Toronto, worked on Bay Street for a little bit in real estate, not construction like you guys do, but on like the brokerage um, capital market side. Okay. But the funny thing is that I'm fourth generation furniture industry. So like there has always been this like, I don't know if it's an inside joke in the family or like pretty much my path has always been either real estate on my mom's side or like slinging furniture on my dad's side because he had a factory and was producing stuff like this. Like literally this is what they made. I love this couch by the way. I know, I don't know who Leon's or something made it, but I love this. But this is what my dad's factory made. We had a, we had a plant up in like Woodbridge area and supplied all the big Canadian retail stores. So like there's a chance you sat on a bunch of my dad's sofas in your life and didn't even know. Probably didn't even know. Yeah. Yeah, And one of the funny things we used to do as a kid, like we'd go at, we'd go somewhere and my dad would see a sofa and he would beeline to the pillow and he would like, this is actually stitched in, so I can't, but usually he would like pick up the pillow. And if it was one of ours, he'd be like, hey kids, this is one of ours. And we'd be super proud as a family. It was really you know what's fun. It's so funny. So my dad, anytime <laughs> Does, we drive anywhere, so my dad's been in construction for 45, 50 years. Anytime we go somewhere, when he doesn't do it as much anymore because now we're older. It's not as like funny or cool to him. But when we were younger, he'd drive back. You see, you see that pond over there? Yeah, dug that. Yeah, exactly. But the problem is now it's like we've done, the company has done, I don't know, a thousand jobs. So you can literally not drive more than five minutes in the GTA and not pass by either a, either a job he's done, a job he's bid, a job that he helped do or something. Like and you, So this condo that I, actually, that I live in, um, one of our guys did this job. He, he dug this condo. Across the street, a buddy of mine is doing that work. Two, sec, two streets over here on Wellington and um, uh, Blue Jays Way in Wellington, we did the work right there. You go down the Sky Dome, we did work there. So it's like the AC uh, near Scotiabank Arena, we did work across the street. So it's, it's literally the exact same thing. As a kid, when your dad would show you that stuff, what was the reaction? Uh, like, how did you, you feel? When you're a kid, it's cool, right? You're like, well, you, you, like doing the 407. My dad did the 407. I remember he took me for a drive at night once, and I'm like, we're driving on a highway that's not a highway yet. Like, even when we did it, when I started working there, we did like the far east end extension, and you're, you're driving on a highway that is a highway but it's not open to anybody else yet because you're doing it before the final like we you, we basically build it but we don't do um the the asphalt and the paving so like you'll be in a pickup truck or like a rock truck just driving down 20 kilometers of what is soon to be the 407 talk about early access yeah it's to like, government infrastructure yeah it's just it's just it's cool 
right? And sometimes yeah. you got ugly jobs. You're like, hey, this this is not cool. No, but this I, 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 like, we're doing a water treatment facility down in like Mississauga. It's just like every time I go there, I'm like, this place fucking smells. Get me out of here. What's interesting but, is that like we, dude, we have really similar life experiences. Like it was your dad pointing out, you know, infrastructure projects. Oh yeah. And for us, it was like pieces of furniture across every major retailer in the country. Like we would be in an Air Canada lounge somewhere. And like my dad's like all these chairs in the lounge, that's us. And like he was so fired up about it. They're and proud, man. They're so they're, fucking proud. Yeah. Parents are proud, especially if they're entrepreneurs and like they build it like yours did. But what was interesting is I never thought that the furniture and home category was sexy. Like if you asked me in high school or in college what I was going to do, it was 100% real estate slinging stuff with my mom and her family like that was the path i was so fired up to like go develop properties and buildings and it is a lot sexier than furniture though it's that that's what i thought now okay. now four four and a half years into building this like software company for the home space furniture is the sexiest thing on the planet and it's so fun i love it it's hot do you, do you know what's funny too even how you <laughs> even how you say that you're like i never thought i was gonna do that i was the same way i thought you, if you asked me 10 years ago if what I'd ever work in construction, I'd say no fucking chance. I did it as a kid since I was 13 to maybe 20. And then I started doing like marketing. I was doing events and shit. I started working in the nightclub space and I stopped working construction. So I was like, why do I need this day job when I can make good money just working two Were you working week? with the family? Yeah, I was always, yeah. So I started, my dad kind of like snaggled me into it because one day my snaggled. brother- Snaggled? Yeah, my brother went to get trained and my dad's like, Ricky, why don't you go like, I'll pay you 50 bucks. It's four hours. So I was like, 50 bucks, four hours. You fuck. I was 12. That's fucking huge money. Back, especially just like 20 years ago. So I went in and got my $50, got my training. A couple of days later, I go, Rick, I need a big favor. A guy's not showing up to work tomorrow. Do you mind going in? You got to do the easiest job there. And it was the easiest job. I'd sit down. This is before cell phones were a real thing, too. You write down the time a truck comes in, the time a truck comes out. Sure, 12 bucks an hour. Are you kidding? Work at 10 hour day, 120 bucks. Did it one day. My dad, I come on the day, and my mom picks me up, drops me off. My dad goes, oh, you want to do it again? Like, I need, I need a favor. And it's always a favor. It was a favor. Until eventually, it's like, I got my first paycheck, and it was like 600 bucks or something. And I went to the bank. I had to get a debit card. I was, you know, whatever. And I remember going to the movie theater with a debit card. I was the only kid that had a debit card. Usually, your parents should give you 20 bucks to go to the movies. Movie and popcorn, you're good. I had a debit card, and I go and like, I could buy snacks for myself. Like, I had more than $20 to spend. And I was like the richest kid, because... I had a full-time fucking job at 12 years old, not full-time, but like a summer job at 12. And then he kind of snaggled me into it. And then every summer I did it, even though I didn't really want to do it, the money was so good. And I never really did hard work. I was always doing like bitch work. But then uh, one day, like I remember I got to a job and there was no job for me to do there. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I was so mad. I'm like, dad, you're just, you're paying me just because you're, I'm your son. Like that's like degrading for me. And he's like, no, Ricky, just stand there and just go and talk, go watch everybody. You don't have to literally do it. Just go watch, just watch. I was like, what's the fuck's this do? What's the point? It's like, just by you being there, everyone is more efficient because they know you're going to tell me exactly what happens and who fucks the dog. Who does. So some jobs, I was literally there just to watch people. It's insane. But yeah, anyways, I, I was working since I was a kid and I never thought I was going to end up in construction. Here I am 20 years later and I love it. It gives me like, wor working with your family is truly amazing. Like you get to work with it, people you love and you're, any idea that you have that you can save money or make money like there's very little red tape i don't have to run it by four or five people it's like hey i can do this i can save us this amount of money or i can do this i can make us this or you know i can do this which will help us in three or four years and it's like okay go do it right so but enough about me actually no no it's actually interesting i'm loving this like yeah. 
Well, it's nice because we kind of know who each other are, but we don't really know kind each of. other, right? Like, we're like social media friends. Like, kind of. Like, how do you know? I'm like, we kind of just know each other from social media. Like, I don't know. Just I don't know. Just like really. DMs. Like, I'll respond to stories once in a while. Yeah, and that's like, it. Pump, I saw you pump, raise a whole bunch pump of money. Up Ricky, like, pump up Ricky's yeah, TikToks well, I saw you, aggressively. I saw you, you, uh, you raised a fuck ton of money. I was like, hey, that's crazy. Yeah, we, we, like, we tried, me and George, on the well, George used to the pot with us. And uh, we tried to raise a lot of money. We never did. And we know how hard it is it's, to raise it's, that much It's money, difficult. So. And we did it in, we did it over the, over last summer and we announced like in the fall and like it, it was the most choppy and difficult fundraising climate for like software companies in the last like 25 plus years. And I have some like, dude, I have some war stories I can imagine. Okay, but like, sorry, before we get into yeah. that, tell us about the business. Like, tell us, okay, because I, like, I know a little bit about it, but I don't fully know. So tell us about, don't worry about But before we go into the biz, I want to just like, you said how like you were 12 years old, like doing bitch work. First of all, same with me. My dad had me in the furniture factory, sweeping floors, like doing everything under the sun, built my first sofa at 13, trash sofa. Wait, you know how to build a sofa? I mean, shitty sofa but like i understand the components from like the framing to the webbing to the stitching like how you put it together like how to ship it like just like your dad was like hey ricky go watch the squad do what they do my pops was like sam like go walk around the factory and like go ask the sewers what they do go ask the stitching department go ask the shippers and it was funny because when you walk around everyone knows your dad's the he's big man on campus right like my dad also worked with his brother so it was my dad and his brother and i would walk around and like i would be 12 11 14 16 and like everyone looks around they're like yeah that's the future boss walking and like they knew that if they weren't hustling i would go tell my dad now in all fairness i never squealed i was a really good kid but still i get the vibe to be honest i was so bad i wouldn't even know if people were doing their job or not because i didn't know what the fuck was going on when i was that young my dad like did were people working i'm like i think so he's like where the machines moving, I was like, yeah, he's like, the people were working. I'm like, now yeah, that I know yeah. a little bit about it, I'm like, how do I know if they were actually working to their full fucking we, z- Zero clue. There were times where I would do like busy work with the accounting department. And I remember like our, our I think it was our in-house accountant at the time. And she would have me do like reconciliations. I guarantee I got them all wrong. Yeah, she's probably And I created, I created so much more work for my dad's team, but he didn't say anything. Anyway. Okay. Um, the, the business. So yeah, let's get Commerce into Bear. It. Commerce Bear. Tell us about it. So Commerce Bear is, I'll, I'll actually like, instead of explaining the company bottom up, I love doing top down. All right. Okay. And this actually was really effective during our fundraising where I actually put like future investors in a mindset where they were like thinking as our consumer. So like show of hands, I mean, there's only two of you guys here. Like <laughs> who, who has bought a piece of furniture or, or like accessories for their home on the internet ever? Me. I think everybody has. Everyone has, right? And like, where do you shop? Uh, I'm a big Amazon guy. Okay. Even for home furniture, for everything. Great. Actually, I guess home sets. Where'd you too. buy this couch? I didn't buy this online. I but, bought this in person. But you've bought furniture on the internet. Yeah, oh yeah, of course. Danny? Like those stools on I the bought internet. on the internet. My whole condo's from the internet. Oh, where, where did you shop? Like 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 a high, like top two favorite like brands that you well, shopped for online. For my condo right now? Yeah. It's either CB2 or Article. Okay. So Rich. perfect. Love oh. that. Article is great Canadian brand, by the way. Yeah, it's great. So, so pretty much what Bear does is we help furniture manufacturers um, list and sell and like pretty much scale their entire business on the internet. So, like we help furniture brands that produce for big retailers that we all know and love, and we help them manage their entire biz on Wayfair, Amazon, Paragold, House.com. Wayfair, forgot about that. Like, like Amazon yeah, is huge one. for us and our yeah. customer base. So, Bear is pretty much like the publishing engine for the home industry. And what's funny is because furniture is typically to the general person unsexy. Like you don't think about it, but if you'd look around this room, it's the most ubiquitous thing around us. 
we don't don't say this room because my condo is not well furnished sure it's, like george's place is really nice danny i don't know what yours looks like mine's there. like basic but my mom redoes her family room every four years and we yeah. can't go At, she is so obsessed with her family for, room furniture furniture she redoes it every four wait years. let me ask you this does it go from the living room down to the downstairs living room and then from the downstairs living room goes to you and then from you it goes eventually somewhere else yeah, or like after, so the, base, like a lot after of, the basement, it goes. Yeah, I feel like a lot of Europeans, that's how it was. It was like, goes from your main living area to the secondary living area just, to the kids. It just gets relegated to the D-League like and then since, it makes yeah. it. Then, <laughs> since being at my house, every five years, like she changes it. Because she's so obsessed with family room furniture. And furniture is personal, right? Furniture is almost as unique as like the people who buy it. Like everyone has their own desire, their flavor, like how you want your sofa or your or, or accessory to look. and And pretty much like we've allowed like this whole kind of segment of the economy manufacturers of furniture which are like overlooked everywhere because when you shop for furniture you don't go to the manufacturer you go to the retailer yeah, yeah. you go to article you go to cb2 you go to you know wayfair amazon or like a mom and pop shop locally but the manufacturers like my dad and our family business they are cut out of the value chain like they are like the most important part of the value chain but they actually don't get to determine the price how it's sold they don't own the consumer relationship and like during the pandemic and i hate saying during the pandemic because that is so like not a thing anymore but it changed the way we all buy furniture for our homes like it, it literally changed the way everybody bought anything for their home yeah. right and we just we ended up like we had, we raised a, a relatively small like million dollar like pre-seed kind of round right before the pandemic and we used that to ride this wave grow the biz which which honestly ended up like being really good for us in terms of timing and like i've always said timing in life is everything and like we were just very lucky that the furniture gods were like looking down on me and my business like saying sam now's your time and you guys can go take your space and then we ended up partnering with uh with inovia which is like the biggest and best fund in canada they let our our 14 million dollar round back in december Fuck. and like now we're building building the future of home which is like What's what we got here? Bear is home. <laughs> so wait, so you're so Bear essentially brings manufacturers to to direct to, the consumer to market, yeah. pretty much like not always directly to the consumer, but to the channels that have all of the consumer shopping at them. Okay. So we'll connect the manufacturer to Wayfair, okay. Amazon, Walmart, House.com, um, so on and so forth, and the manufacturers love it because the new revenue channel. Yep. It's incremental. It's usually like relatively high profit margin compared to selling in brick and mortar store where you have overhead such as trucks and employees and warehouse space and so on and advertising. So um, it's pretty much helping them future proof their businesses. Where'd the idea come from then? Like, so how did you just decide? Was it? Did you see your dad in this space and like, hey, fuck, yeah, dad, why don't you why don't you try this? It's like, oh, well, it doesn't exist. Like so so pretty much it took it took an interesting turn of events. So. Back to Dalhousie. So I graduate Dal. Few people know this. I went straight to grad school. Where'd you go to grad? Dalhousie. Okay. In retrospect, worst decision. I needed a change of scenery. Hated it. Dropped out six months later. So went to Bay Street. There's always, there's always a good story though. Yeah. Went to Bay Street. Worked in real estate, capital markets kind of stuff. It was like definitely not super interesting, but you learn how to like suck it up. Say yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Get your shit done. Scar tissue. Like it builds you up. And then my dad asked me to come down to the Carolinas for the world's biggest furniture trade show. This thing is fucking nuts. 100,000 people come to the Carolinas. Greensboro High Point area twice oh, a North year. Carolina, man. Greensboro. Yeah, twice a year. They show up and every furniture buyer on the planet shows up from like 
Crate and Barrel, Pottery Barn to your local mom and pop shop to designers. They all show up to do their wholesale buying for the season in High Point. It's a party. It's wild. There's alcohol. There's DJs. There's catering. There's private jets. It's you need to see it. I just came back from it ten days ago, and it was just it was wild. So my dad takes me down to this thing when I'm still working in finance to try to convince me to join the family furniture business. I'm like, Dad, there's not a chance I'm gonna sling sofas with you and your brother. Not a fucking chance. Like, I'm really happy with my career path in real estate. So I didn't go. Six months later. My dad, again, and I'm really close with my pops. He's like, Sam, I'll pay for your flights. I'll pay for your hotels. I'm like, honestly, that sounds compelling. I went down with my dad. and so That's how he got you, eh? He got me. Free flight and hotel. He eh? hooked, Fuck, mom and dad know easy, how to do it, eh? Easy, 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 <laughs> easy to win over at that time. I was like 20, 24 maybe. Yeah, like, fuck it. I'll, go like, the States. I'll take it. Like, have a great time in the Carolinas. Like, let's go. It was also like spring in, in Ontario. It was super cold. It was like 30 degrees in sunshine there. So showed up. And what blew my mind is how much capital was exchanging hands in one week in one place. Like it. Oh. What's a ballpark? Can you estimate that? So I don't know. I don't know exactly like what transacts at High Point in real time, which the trade show is called High Point. But when you compare the total addressable market of the furniture and home category globally, it it dwarfs other categories that we think are bigger. So like. Didn't know that. Yeah. So like home category globally, eight hundred billion dollars. If you look at other spaces like food delivery, it has DoorDash, Uber Eats, Caviar, maybe a sixth or an eighth of the size. That's how big home and furniture is. And I did not know that. Dude, it blew my mind. Blew my fucking mind. And I said, Dad, kind of like the scene in Wolf of Wall Street where where Jonah Hill sees DiCaprio's paycheck and goes, I'm going to fucking work for you right now. I saw what my dad was doing. I'm like, dad, I'm literally going to work for you right now. I think I put a notice a week later at my job on Bay Street. And my boss at the time, really nice VP that I'm still in touch with today was like, Sam, what are you going to go do? Like, this must be a great opportunity. I'm like, I'm going to go sling furniture with my dad. And he kind of like punched me. He's like, good luck. He's like, good luck, kid. And um, I worked with my dad for two years, learned everything about the home and furniture category, like weekends, evening. Somebody call so it's no longer around. Okay. He kind of rolled it up, but it was called originally it was called Hickory International in the U.S. and it was co- it was called Koja Leatherline here in Canada. Okay. But like you wouldn't know because no one knows manufacturers. That's fair. A good a good family friend of mine owns a company called uh, RFP. Okay. So they do custom furniture, but they don't. I think they only do custom. Actually, I don't think they even sell in stores. I don't even know to be honest. But again, like nobody knows. The but name it's kind of co- like for other than. What's the cloud coach? What company is that? Restoration Hardware. And here's the funny thing: that is not even made by Restoration Hardware. That is made. That is made most likely, if I had to guess, by by Shane Global in Taiwan under contract for them. So like I've gotten to know over the years all of the white label producers who make anything. So if you ever see a piece of furniture at a retailer, Ricky, like just DM me or text me, and like I'll tell you where to get it at wholesale. I have some furniture. I don't know if I should put this on the pod, but like, <laughs> see those TikToks. Like, I am the furniture guy if when it comes you, to like, you want to know where to. Are in that industry. Yeah. If you find the, if you want, if you love the restoration, like hardware cloud couch, go get this replica at this place for a fraction of the cost or something. I see those TikToks all and, the time. And the, and the funniest thing is I've had customers that are like now users of the bear platform. These are like big businesses. Like average customer does like definitely um, serious volume offline and online and they'll send me their furniture like they'll literally send their favorite products to our office so my office in toronto's got fucking great i have a i have an rh cloud couch from the wholesaler 
because they were a customer of Bear. They they were a customer of ours for a little bit. So it's just chilling there. Your your office must be so nice. <laughs> you should come by. It's actually kind of, it's kind of oh. fun. <laughs> Man, why don't we do this at your office? We, we could we could have we office. could have set up at my office. Easy. Everything's mobile. Okay. Man, we'll do part two next time. We'll, we'll do it. Again. Do you ever want to shoot? Just like I'll give you a meeting room. It can be all yours. Man, I didn't even think about that. I was like, yeah. Fuck. We have, this? we have a good space up in uh, at university in Dundas. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wait. So we're okay. back. We're back to go. Let's stay yes. on track here. Where were we? Um. So you're at the part where you, you just gave your notice. You're with dad. Two years, you learned everything. Everything. We're it. talking like hustling evenings, weekends. I'm on the road learning everything from like how to like procure the leather from the tannery and the different kinds Sorry, of leathers. Tannery? Where, where the hides come from, that's right? A, that's a real word. Tanneries is where leather is made. And it's like the most toxic, disgusting process because, right? You know, the cow gets chopped up or sometimes there's buffalo leather and there's there's pigskin leather and what's funny is like I learned as well that like leather doesn't have to be cow it can be any animal. I, I it's 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 obvious now but I didn't realize that I learned yep, it. Didn't, didn't so like either. from the tannery dude like which is filthy and like I do not recommend you ever go to one of those to like the lumberyard through to like the mills that make the fabric and like how all those parts come into the plant and then you end up with like one of these bad boys. It's wild. And it's it's complex. Okay, so you did that two years. You learned everything there is to know about it. The tannery, the lumber yards, everything. Milling, production, foam right. densities, like everything you can under the sun. And I reached a point where I, I was very bullish on what the future of the home category looks like with a software company that helps solve these huge problems when it comes to listing online. And at the time... I had started listing a few of our family's products on like Wayfair.ca, like early, early Wayfair days before it was a household name up here in Canada. It was like relatively well known in the US, but not here in Canada. And I flew down to Boston and I spent like a day with like our category manager at Wayfair when we were a vendor for my family's business. Yeah, yeah. And I was blown away at like how many millennials had just like from top Ivy League schools and top US institutions were all working at Wayfair's head office in Boston. I'm like holy shit, Wafer is onto something. And like, at the time they were publicly traded, they were doing billion. They, they weren't as big as they are today. Not even close to as big as they were today. This is like twenty, I think this was twenty, probably twenty sixteen, okay, twenty seventeen. No, twenty eighteen, twenty eighteen. Sure. Anyway, wh- I'm trying to remember. Like everything's a blur, honestly, pre twenty twenty. Okay, so twenty eighteen, yeah. you're down there. I want to, I want to know, like, what's the the aha moment? So. I don't think there was like an actual aha moment. I think it was a number of compounding observations over time. It's like, okay, industry is big at this trade show. Cool. My dad's company is relatively like relatively well established, but their processes are all spreadsheets and faxes and archaic. Cool. Okay. There's definitely like no efficiency here. You go visit like Wayfair in Boston and you realize like it's a very like forward thinking company in the home space. Like, okay, interesting, but they're focused on the consumer. So then you start doing market research and I started calling up and trying to demo every single on-the-shelf software solution at the time that could help us like list our catalog across a bunch of different sites. Kind of like um, when you walk into like a pizza shop and you have all those little tablets for DoorDash and Uber Eats, and like yeah, you yeah. have like SaaS that kind of like kind of centralizes it all into one queue, and like that's a big business like Lightspeed. And I, I realized there was nothing in the home category. No kid, no one had been like this is a market that I want to go after. So I'm I'm like Dad, I love you. Thanks for all like the lessons and the support. I'm going to go do my own thing in the home category, but it's going to be a software company. And I went to my mom. Parents are divorced. 
I went to my mom. I told her the idea. She was super supportive. My dad, obviously supportive as well, but definitely bummed that his like only son, oldest boy is like dipping and leaving. And uh, I took a loan for my mom, like 25, 30K. My, one of my uncles also gave me a loan, 30K. I put my, I like put my savings into the business, ended up paying them back within like a year. And then about a year and a half later, we ended up raising our first like angel round. And that was right for the pandemic. But like the first year was tough, dude. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was you also, tough. You're not a tech, you have no tech experience. Can't code for shit. Just cannot code. I, now fast forward four and a half years working with something. I can't code, but I understand how it works. And like, I'm comfortable speaking to it. But I, I think the biggest, the biggest thing was surrounding myself with people who are really good at what they do and trusting them to do it. That's fair. Yeah. That's the big thing. This, it's still, this whole story was great. And I agree with what you say, the compound thing, because again, it starts off with like, you're not in real estate. And real estate is a massive industry, massive industry. And then it's like, okay, you are you realize, okay, for, for home and furniture wasn't that big. But okay, maybe it is that big. You went to Mile Point or High Point? High Point. High Point. Yeah, it's outside of Greensboro. You went to, you went to High Point. Then from there, it was the, the next thing. Then the next it thing. It just builds, man. It's like a story. Like, you know the classic story arc? You build the foundation, you build the plot line. Yeah. Like, it was just, it was just that. And I just like rode the wave and I've always been someone who I, I like to think I'm super high conviction and that I will quit hard and quit often. And it's funny because the dogma at the time, all my buddies who were like at, at, at high school in college, got jobs in finance. They're like, we got to stick this out for a couple of years to pad the resume. You can't show that you're hopping and shopping on yeah, a resume. Yeah. Like everything is thinking about like pretty much like how do you build a good career for other people? I mean, I knew at some point I would do my own thing. So I was really comfortable cutting hard and cutting fast. And of course, people were like, Sam, like family, friends were like, you have a great job. Why are you leaving? I'm like, because if I do this when I'm 40, I won't be able to. So, yeah. And, and it goes to the idea that a lot of people like live for the, their future selves, not for their today selves, right? Like a lot of people are sticking it out because they know in 20 years, that's the life they want to live or something. It's like, sure. You might not make it there. You, you don't know. know. Like, might not make life it. is fleeting, man. And short, and you well, got to cherish the every. Pandemic taught, taught us anything. It's that life is not guaranteed. Like nothing is be literally gone. At any nothing is second. guaranteed. Yep. Swing big, swing hard. Like obviously, different people have different risk appetites. Yeah. But one of the things that I, I mean, dude, there's so many ways we can take this combo. But like, Whichever, if the, are you lead, I'll follow. Honestly, you. if there's like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> if there's like one thing I wish I knew five years ago or even when I started building out this biz is that everything's going to be okay and like you just got to trust the process I just turned 30 last year and I feel like I'm an old cuck now and like I get it but 25 year old Sammy was stressed to the tits about everything and everything was huge and everything was heavy and you realize now like it actually isn't just go with it do you know the um, the, the way you said this do you know the Chinese um, the story about the Chinese farmer no I, I feel like you're going to tell me it though. You've told us on the podcast. <laughs> I said, I was just about to say, I haven't told us on the podcast in a while. Okay, in a while. It's been months, Danny, because you haven't been here in months. Um, so the story goes, it's about a Chinese farmer. He wakes up one morning and it's one, his horse is gone and they're, they're a farming family. This horse is how they make their money. So the neighbor comes by and goes, oh my God, your horse took off. Like, this is terrible news. Like, what bad luck? The farmer looks at the neighbor and goes, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Well, the next morning, the farmer goes out. The horse came back and brought three more horses with them. He's got four horses now. Neighbor goes, oh my God, you're gonna make so much money. This is great. You're such a lucky guy. The man goes, maybe, maybe not. Next day, the boy, uh, his son is out there riding one of the new horses, trying to like tame him, whatever. 
falls off his horse, breaks his leg. The neighbor comes back, oh my God, these horses are terrible. He broke his son's leg. This is terrible news. Like, such bad luck. The farmer's like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. The next day, the army's coming through town recruiting all abled young men to go to war. Well, his son's got a broken leg, can't go to war. The neighbor comes back, oh my God, you're so lucky. Your son's not going to war. Like, you have the best luck ever. The farmer goes, maybe, maybe not. The idea of the story is that you never really know if something's going to be like good or bad and, like, until you let things fully play out. You have to like let it go. Ride the highs and like manage the lows because, again... Trust the they, process. Yeah. Trust see, see it the process. See it through because you don't know if something... In my business, like we sometimes you get a big job, and you're like, "This is amazing! Like we just got the biggest job we've ever had." Well, who's to say that you don't fucking screw it up and lose everything on this massive job? You don't know. Or maybe you end up losing that job that you were so close to. You know how many jobs we were so close to getting? We were less than half a percent off, and we're talking like, not like nine figure jobs. Sure. And we're a percent or two off, and you're thinking, "Fuck! Like we could have got that job. Like that could have been so good for our business." Maybe it could have been the worst thing to happen to our business. Maybe we would have had to overhire and we would have hired too many bad people and you, you screw up and that's how you ruin the company, right? There's, you never know if something's going to be true. Like, ride it out and try, trust the process day by day. Like, 100%. Like, trust the process. Um, trust good people around you to make good decisions. Like, that's huge as well. Um, but yeah. The good story about the farmer, though. Yeah, before we get into the fundraising, Brooks, I do want to ask about that. I mean, we could talk Would, fundraising as much as you want. Yeah, yeah, but before that, what what do you think has the, been the biggest key to your success? Like, the, what's the one thing that you think is, is more, is like the one thing that really stands out? I think that that's actually, a, it's an interesting question. I used to say that's a good question, and then a wise, early, early investor of mine that I deeply respect that's built like a massive SaaS business here in Canada said to me, stop qualifying questions, Sam. Stop. When someone says like, it gives me a question, stop saying good question. Like, because if the next person asks the question, you don't say good question. Do they feel like shit? Cause it was a bad question. So like, so like either if you're going to qualify, qualify everything which makes you a dick. Um, or just like stop qualifying questions. Just like say, thank you for the question. And I've like, I've coached a lot of people at, at, at Commerce Fair on that. And like, it's one of like the Sam isms that you'll hear across the hallways of our business where it's like, stop qualifying questions among like 10 other things of like what not to do just because you don't have to. Um, also using filler words is a big one for us. Um, but I think that it comes down to like, like what, you know, what the one thing is that kind of played into my success. First of all, don't think I'm successful at all. And I think that like my, my success is chasing 60 year old Sam. Like I want that guy to be super proud of me today and be like, yeah, dude, you, you made good calls or you made the right calls or you took the right risks. Um, whether it paid off or not, we shall see. And if I, if it doesn't, I'll have some good scar tissue to show for it. But man, I, I agree. Right. Like it does like scar tissue is healthy. And I'll talk about when I recruit, when we hire, cause I built a really, really strong I believe leadership team of some of the biggest guns in vertical software in, in, in North America. And it's because frankly, um, it comes down to, I just lost my train of thought. Well, I was just talking about a second you know ago, Ricky. So, funny? He's talking? so I used to do this with George. Do you know who George is? No. Who's George? So my co-host, like my best friend. So he stopped in the pod. He retired from podcasting recently just because of uh, time commitments. But, uh, I think you like, as you're talking, I'm like, these guys would get along so well. Just like they had, like the, he, we tried to raise, and he was leading our raise for when we had our app. Um, I think that's but, why we initially reached out to Sam. Yeah, I think so. It was just because like okay. yeah, people, you see people doing things that that you tried to do. Like we tried to raise money, we couldn't. We raised like, just over half a million, and like we were really happy with that. And you know, for for our app, dude, that's a great amount. Yeah, we we were that's, happy with that. That's and impressive and tough. Like 10 or something. I was like, what the fuck? That's wild. Like, I want to hear how you did. I want to hear your stories. And what you said about scar tissue is like 
our app. Oh, that's it. Yeah. yeah, our app ultimately failed financially, but we don't call the app a failure. Like we lost launched a social media app that hit like number nine on the app store for social media in Canada the day we launched. Which again, in big picture, is nothing. But like it was like TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, blah 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 blah. What was cast, it called? Cast. Cast. It was like the Purple Sea. It was a social vote. It app. sounds familiar. I probably if, if, yeah. if you're in Toronto, you've definitely seen yeah. it or heard of it because we fucking did some wild shit. What it. what it is? It's a notch in your belt. It's and and back to the point that I lost my train of thought on because my mind is moving a million miles a minute. Cause I'm just fired up to be here. Um, is, have you done a pod before? No, first time ever. Oh fuck yeah! Let's, I broke Love my it. dude. No longer a pod virgin. Sick. I, I used to say the joke all the time. <laughs> I fucking steal everyone's pod. I'm, I'm gonna start a furniture pod where I'm gonna talk to like furniture experts in the it. next couple of weeks. But like, this is my first time ever being on a pod. Um, but I have to bring my homies. Yeah, and we're gonna get to those before we end. We're gonna get to those. Yeah, but so scar, scar tissue. tissue. When I look for leadership or for like people that are gonna build this company alongside me. I didn't have the luxury that you had when you were building Cast with a co-founder. I'm a solo founder, which is super lonely sometimes because you you can move faster and make higher conviction decisions because you, it's just you. It's not decision by committee. And I have a ton of thoughts about chefs in the kitchen and like people like I don't know if I can say this, but like circle jerking around decisions, and like not getting there fast yeah. enough. Um, so like the downside of being a solo founder is that you don't really have a strong team to build with from like the get go. Mm -hmm. But what I've been able to do today, I looked, I've looked. i pretty much looked at folks that have scar tissue that have seen the movie. And if you look at the leadership at Bear around me, they wear the co-founder hats. They're not co-founders, but the way they operate, the way they think, the way they communicate with me and the team, they are my co-founders because yep. they're building this thing with me. Well, yeah, and, and you want people that, that feel like they got skin in the game, right? Because like, that's what it is. You want people to feel like 100%. they're part of that team. Everybody has equity at Commerce yeah. Bear. Everybody. Um, I, I love it. And, as you're talking like even when you lost your train of thought i'm like this is george too like, I, I and again maybe shout out george yeah he, he might listen. <laughs> i don't know who george is so he's like my best friend too dan and danny's best friends engaged to george that's how me and danny became best friends uh and he might listen we'll tell him we'll listen to this one but no exactly what you're some of the things you're saying when we were building cast too is the same thing right like you you want to try and build the best possible team because we were non-technical co-founders as well and when you're a non-technical co-founder working in the tech space like it's there, fucking tough. And there's also sometimes stigma oh, around it. Oh, yeah. And there's ways to circumnavigate. There's ways to objection handle. And there's like, as you as you reach certain scale and velocity and you have product market fit and like you have, you know, a big market that you're attacking or you have a good product and the story is compelling, like you kind of can move away from the stigma around, hey, you're a non-technical founder of a SaaS business. Like, but um, at the time, especially, well, I'm going to pin my thought for a second. There's a huge difference between U.S. investors and Canadian investors. I can see that. Massive. Like one is playing checkers, one is playing chess. Yep. I'm sure. I'm sure you can guess who is who. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fairly. For the most part, um, our our backers that are Canadian, we have we have two funds, VC funds that are Canadian. The rest are American, and they are pretty much the two of the best funds in Canada. And like I hand selected them because they were honestly operating like they're on Sand Hill Road in San Francisco, in, in Silicon Valley. Garage Capital, Absolute Beauties, and Inovia Capital. And like, frankly, I'm thrilled to have them in the cap table because they were able to look around and look over so much of the stigma that your typical VC will look at when you're looking at a non-technical solo founder. It's even tough because you're non-technical solo. Dude, cards stacked against you, but the story's there and the market's there. Yeah. So you can make it work. 
Okay, so what was the first round was right before COVID. Yeah. Pre-COVID, and you said you raised how much? So total to date, it's been 14 million Canadian. Fuck. Yeah. Um, I also realized I never answered the question about like what's been the one thing that's been like helped me. Oh yeah, you, that's the best part about this pod. We just one hundred. Okay, so I, I thought about that a little bit, and I think it, it's it's tough to answer, but I think Ricky, what it comes down to, is being able to get other people rallying around your mission and vision. Getting other people, whether it's employees, investors, customers, partners, channels like Wayfair, getting them fired up about what you're doing, kind of like a shared mission and a shared understanding of where we're going. If you make someone feel special, and it all comes down to feeling at the end of the day, um, people will come with you. And like our one of our top core values at Bear, even though we're not supposed to stack rank the values, they're all created equal. I kind of have a favorite child, which is like in the, in the, be in the culture of service of others. And it's okay. funny. Yeah, because the, what that means is you remember how someone makes you feel in life. You don't remember what they do. So like 10 years from now, you might not even remember this conversation, but you'd be like, yeah, Sam, like we had a fun convo. I don't know what the fuck we spoke about, but I felt decent leaving that conversation. So I, it's so, yeah, you bang on. Like so many episodes, like we'll listen, we'll think back and I do, we record this and this will be released in two weeks and I'll do the intro right before and I'll be like, what the fuck? Do, I know we had so much fun, but I can't remember what we Exactly. Uh, but you remember how someone made you feel, yeah. whether it's a date, whether it's a family event, whether it's a business relationship, like you remember how someone makes you feel. So if you can make someone feel good, make them feel heard, make them feel listened to, active listening, not hearing, like literally active listening. Um, and then you like, you also like, have something good going. You can't just do that without having yeah, a, yeah. an interesting business or something cool going on. Those two come together and you have people like just pushing you up the fucking hill. And I feel like I have an entire village, fortunately, and I'm blessed to have like this village around me, around Bear, around our team. Our investors are like, our investors are like banging their chest. We have like, like I get on a Zoom call and our investors are like, like polished, like really polished investors that have made fortunes investing in building software companies, they get on a Zoom call, they're like, fucking bear, like on the call with me. And like, you just get people fired up. Like you bring bears to meetings. Like you show up with teddies, you do shit like that. And people like, they're like, let's go to the moon, man. Anyway. Man, even you walked in like- It's my TED talk. I'm done. No, sorry. Man, you, you're one of the first guests in a while. So we, we took a hiatus and you're, you're the first guest in a while that's brought like gifts and stuff. So- for anyone who's watching on YouTube, we got a teddy bear here. We got some bracelets. And it's special. That teddy's only for Commerce Bear customers and employees except for you, bro. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. I got you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, but it's like the little things where it's like making someone feel special, right? Yeah. Like, and I, I would have brought a hoodie, but like I just ran it. We, we just went through a rebrand and I didn't have the new merch yet. I, I don't have... We're getting Pals merch again. I We took a hiatus from merch, so we're doing Pals we merch. I'll, I'll trade you yeah. for a sick Gildan Heavy Cotton Bear hoodie when yeah, I get yeah, one. Yeah, I got you. I got, I got these nice hats coming. Oh, and your stuff's green. You're green, right? Well, yeah. Or like green, brown, or like... This is the new icon on all, that we just launched two weeks ago, which is a grizzly bear nose. Yeah. But it's also home for the house category, but also sideways C for Commerce Bear. Okay. So this is kind of our new kind of colorway. Yeah, yeah. I have a question. You know what? I'm actually going to put it on. How did you come up with the name? Okay. It's okay. Commerce Bear. The question was, how did you come up with the name? There we go. There we go. Okay. So this is going to be something that most people don't know. And like in the, in the past, when someone asks me how we named the company, 
I usually don't answer the question. I just like beat around the bush like an absolute beauty. Like, <laughs> like I'm just like objection handling. Obviously I asked this question. And I, I'm like, and my, my, my typical response, if you really want to objection handle, like, and don't get me into sales one-on-one because we have the best VP of sales in software in Canada, hands down by, his name is Evan Santa, absolute goat. And he has taught me more about the sales process and sales methodology and the buyer behavior and how you build pipeline than anybody I've ever... Like, it's been an MBA times a thousand. And Evan has showed me how to like... Someone asks you a question. It's like, okay, great. But like, why do you ask? And for the most part, people forget they ask the question. That's fair. I didn't forget. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to... <laughs> oh, that's fair. Well, Mike, it's also, it's also our job on the pod if people don't want to answer questions. We, we no, I'm just I, curious, given like you brought your bear here, that's from I'd your love, desk. I love that you're so respectful, but I'm happy to answer. It's named after my childhood dog, whose name was Bear. Oh, I love that. Good answer. I know. it's. He's still yeah, kicking it. He is like, he's 14, 15. He's still kicking it. Um, it's just like nice that it has like a nice like yeah. homey like familiar feel when like the company like furniture itself came from your family 100 like, percent. It's, it's very like aspect. it's very family it's very like this is meaningful to us and um one of the funny things is that when we were incorporating the business like i was sorry i was incorporating the business like we would no employee it was just me and like I, and, you say we I yeah I, now it's we. <laughs> now it's we and i say we now so like it's because we're doing we're building the business together and I, I really like i have a i have a huge apprehension to saying i like it's not me like we're doing this as a as a fucking roster yeah, like we are we're like just like a sports team like we're doing this together but i was like on like corporations canada website and i put it in like I, we went to our lawyer to get it like rubber stamped or something and uh the lawyer at the time was like cool where to come from I'm like, oh, childhood dog. He goes, you know, the corporations never die. I'm like, that is so symbolic. Holy shit. Wild. Yeah, anyway. It, it's just, a, it's a very like well-fitting story. You know, like from like your family having furniture roots to like you saying, I'm never going to work there. Then for you to go work for your dad, then from your dad to you to carry on do your own thing. And I'm sure like if you were still with your dad's company, maybe they wouldn't have packed up and they called it, right? Maybe they would have handed it on to you or something. So right? something crazy happened today. Like this was, this blew my mind. So my dad's brother, who was my dad's like second in command, like, you know, VP for many years at the furniture factory, he still runs a furniture brand, a, a wholesaling company um, out of Ontario with factories all over the world. And for years, for the last two years, my uncle Eric has been asking me to, to use commerce bear and like i've been like like i just can't have family using our platform because like if it breaks i i don't want to have an awkward convo with you at dinner i love you and respect you like i have such a high bar for family and friends that like we let billion dollar revenue companies use our software to run their entire e-commerce but like my uncle i'm like no man not yet so this morning he signed and like officially full circle family is now using commerce bear which is just like mind blowing. And I called him and he's like, this is like such a crazy full circle moment. I'm going to run my whole business on your platform. This is a good feel. Like feel good. Feel good, right? Feel good moment. And my entire company, like our sales team, our success team refers to him as Uncle Eric in like, um, if you see like in our CRM and like HubSpot, like it's like Uncle Eric as the prospect. I'm like, that's fucking incredible. It's so fun. This is a good story. <laughs> We're at like 50 today. Wow. Small, small. Like that's fifty is a small. Fifty. Small. It's like medium size. That's a solid size. Considering yeah. the company's what five years old. Yeah. Twenty nineteen. Yeah. You said. No, that's yeah. We started twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Not even five. Four and a half. We're in. Four. I think we're in year five now. Yeah. I lost track. I don't even know. Feels like you're fifty. Honestly. That's great. Good team. We're 
we're fully distributed. So I'd say like our leadership team specifically is like between New Orleans, Baltimore, San Francisco, and Evan, our VP sales lives in Thunder Bay. Most no way, Thunder Bay. Thunder Bay. He's like he moved back to Thunder Bay during the pandemic. How old is he roughly? Evan, I don't know how old Evan is, Ballpark. but I honestly couldn't know, but Evan is probably between 30 and 40. He's like close to my age. Next time you talk. Early to him, 30s. Evan's, are, Evan's early 30s. Is Evan's Evan early 30s. Evan listen to this pod? Evan will likely listen to the pod. What's Evan, up, Evan? If you know my boy Dom Figlio <laughs> Thunder Bay's population is like 150,000. If you're in this age group, you're definitely boys with Dom Figlio Tell him I say hi. Dom, tell Evan, what's the Santa? Evan Santa. Santa, you guys, I hope you guys are friends. That's funny. Fucking hilarious. Evan's a beauty. Like Dom's abuse. One, one of those people that changes your life that you work with and like just changes the trajectory of everything. And there's well, all there's, like, was he employed like five or something? He pretty much built the entire go to market motion, like our entire sales motion himself. Like it was founder led sales where I was out slinging and hustling deals, like signing deals. I probably shouldn't have because I was happy to take any revenue that I could. Like at that point when you're that early, five, six, seven people, like a dollar is a dollar. Today we actually look at the dollar. Okay, like what's how's it segmented? Is it is is it ICP? Like does it fit our platform properly? Is it is it a good dollar? Is it a bad dollar? Back then, dude, it was a fucking dollar. I'll take it. Like I will I will like give it to me. I was hungry, zero patience. Everything had to be instantaneous. Turned off a lot of buyers. Was kicked out of a lot of showrooms. Told never to return because I was way too intense. And Evan came in. He saw an opportunity. He take he took a really early bet on us, and was at. He's been at two like really, really well-established software companies and took a bet, joining us early stage, built the entire go-to-market motion. And what's interesting is in other software spaces, you've seen the playbook. There's hotel booking software. There's software for pharmaceuticals. There's like the playbook. You don't have to create it from the ground up. You can kind of see what others have done because there, there have been first yeah, movers. Yeah. We're first movers in our space. So we've had to do everything for the first time, every time. Which is wild. So, yeah. This is this whole story is great. And, he, and you're holding you know, the bear. Ricky's holding Dan, the bear. You know how I keep saying that's what's interesting? <laughs> like, so George used to be like, he'll always say, oh, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. He'd say it like numerous <laughs> times on an episode. I used to like, triple. but now you say it, it just reminds me of him too. But that's man, good. This, this is great. Um, yeah. So, there, I think one of the things that keeps me really busy these days, though, dude, is thinking about the team. How do we get like deep alignment? How do you like make sure that when you have a roster of this size, which is still small, like fully distributed and like I'm the only guy that actually goes to the office every single day, like my dad and his dad and his dad before him just because I love it. But like, how do you gain deep alignment with a team that's fully distributed? And like that is probably the biggest challenge that we're facing right now, but not just we, like we as a software community, everyone at tech is trying to figure out like, how do we do this thing if people are living everywhere? And it's doable and you can be super successful, but you have to be thoughtful about it. So let me ask you, what do you think <clears throat> what do you think the biggest hurdle is with being fully distributed? Because I'm a strong believer in, in like company culture and getting people in in a room together. Like our we're in construction, so it's a little bit different because you know, we a lot of times you need to physically be there in a lot of times, but some of our staff, like I just like the idea of having them in office. When we were doing our startup, we were fully remote. So again, it's it's completely different. What do you think the biggest hurdle is when having a company that's fully distributed? I think the biggest hurdle, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to take my commerce bear, like CEO hat off for a second and put on just like someone who works in tech in a remote distributed environment. I think the biggest hurdle is ensuring that everybody feels like they are on the same path, like that there's deep and like passionate alignment. 
it's really easy to get kind of stuck in your routine. You go in, you log on, you do what you got to do. How do you capture like momentum? Everything in life is about momentum. It's energy. It's direction. It's like, are you fucking fired up about it? And we started bringing people in like for a quarterly team event or like an annual kickoff summit where we flew everybody in from across Canada and the US for two days in Toronto where we had like ice breaking. We had directional conversation. We had a big team dinner. But it's really difficult when your leadership is distributed. That's like the core team that I work with. So we do a quarterly uh, leadership onsite. They all fly to Toronto. We spend two, three days together. Then their broader teams will come into the office if they can, or we'll bring them in if we have to. And then in that one week, everybody is just like getting super aligned and like we're tackling the biggest problems. It's like, cool, break. Everyone, you go back to your homes, wherever you live, whether it's Guelph or Halifax or you live on the West Coast and you do great work for the next quarter. And then we'll bring you in again. It's expensive, but... I, that, I was literally just saying the exact same thing. I'm like, you're 50 people. <clears throat> I'm assuming it's what, so maybe a quarter or a third live in Toronto. I would say 60% of our like 60% of our company live within like the two hour GTA okay, kind so of they're, they're fairly cheap. It's fairly cheap, but, but it's, the, it's, the other, you know, you still got 20 people give or take. Yeah. And, and there's nothing more powerful than like this. Like we, there's, you can't beat seeing someone's white of their eyes, like seeing their facial expressions. No, you can't. It's not the same. So that's what we're all thinking through right now in real time. Like how do we, what does this world look like? Is it hybrid? Is it a crazy everyone back in the office? No, that's like untenable because like you're... Especially in the tech space. Yeah, and also the benefit of being fully distributed, I've been able to, we've been able to bring on talent like our head of success who lives in New Orleans, Louisiana that we would never be able to find in Canada. Yeah. Or like our VP product lives in Baltimore or our VP operations is lives in San Francisco in the Valley. These people, they're, they are so good at what they do. That level of talent doesn't exist in Canada because we're a population of sub 40 million. And if you want really big tech giants that have seen the movie, you go stateside. Like they're playing, they're playing chess. So. Yeah. You think about like just what Canada alone lives in California. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. I think like our, yeah. Around like 30 million. 30 million. And now, 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 if you, if, if you move away from population, you go GDP to GDP, it's a whole different ball game. So, um, what's interesting is also the, look, I'm a Canuck diehard, like born, ra- born here, raised here. Like I will beat the drum. I will drink maple syrup straight. I don't care. Like I'll fucking do it. Like I'm the most patriotic you can find, but when it comes to business and you look at the environment here in Canada, there's a, there's a Canadian lens that people look at when making investments or taking risks that is very different from the U.S. lens. And I can give you a perfect example that's just like one of the most interesting experiences I think of my life was going to raise a round of capital in the most difficult climate this past summer and talking to a number of VCs in Toronto, in Montreal, on the West Coast, and then going to talk to VCs in New York, Boston, uh, LA, San Francisco. You would walk into a pitch because this was now back in person again. You would walk into a meeting. They had reviewed your deck. Um, typically, it was a warm intro. Like I wasn't actually like cold calling or cold pinging these folks. It was frankly warm intros from folks who've been watching Bears growth yeah, yeah. and wanted a chance at the opportunity to, par- to, to partner with us on our on our on our on our on our kind of goal to take the home category. And I remember there was one, there's one slide um, in our deck and it's like, it's our company vision. It's like the power all 
home and furniture transactions by 2030. That's the goal. We want to power this entire category within the next 10 years. It's a big fucking goal. Like it's a punch in the face, moon, Neptune kind of goal. A US fund or a US investor who's made early bets on like Uber or Snapchat or Snowflake or Salsify, yeah, whatever. these fucking monster companies, behemoths in their space, they'll look at that and they'll be like, you're going to do that by 2030. How much money do you need to do that by 2025? Right? They're like, how much do you need to go faster? And like, how do we, like, what do you need? This is fucking cool. And like, if you said our goal is to power half the transactions, they'd say how much you need to power all the transactions, right? You have the same conversation with Canadian funds for the most part. Um, like I'm not, I don't want to generalize them all because we have two incredible in our cap table that operate and think like they're in the big leagues and they're phenomenal. Yeah the average run-of-the-mill Canadian VC, dude, they're playing checkers um, because you show them that number, they're like, oh, that seems like a big goal. I don't think it's realistic. I don't think you can get there. Like, maybe you should simmer down your expectations. I'm like, are you trying? Like, what Like, what business are you in? Do you want a pump company to go public one day or have a massive exit? Or do you want me to go build a lifestyle business? You're in venture capital. Your LPs like expect massive returns. So like, that is... There's, and, there's, and that is honestly something that's really deep and wrong in Canadian venture today. And probably why, and there's a chance, there's probably some thematic stuff you experienced when you were fundraising where folks didn't get it. Anyway, yeah, I know maybe, I... Maybe I, this, I, I, if George was here, George would give a lot of insight because we, we tried to raise and like we had big goals too. Like we were, we were a social voting app. We're competing against sure. fucking Twitter. You're competing against Snapchat. You're competing against fucking TikTok blew up over the pandemic too, right? So you're competing against them. We were... Oh, dude, I keep messing up your sign, dude. That's fine. So we were competing against them, which don't get me wrong. Like we, we were different because it it's a social voting app, right? You can vote and like we were trying to bring like objectivity back to social media and like get rid of like cancel culture and like just see what people really think uh, at the end of the day people didn't care what people really think they just care about like short form quick entertainment That's sure why tiktok fucking took over the world and it still is taking over i think every day tiktok's still the most downloaded app like every fucking day still by far like also has a huge content deficit right now oh yeah so so much being consumed yeah yeah so it's uh there's a million reasons why we, we, we failed, but I want to ask you in terms of fundraising, what was the, the most difficult part? Thanks for the question. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, so I would say that the most, I'll break it down into what was like the most fun and like the, the engaging part of raising capital but also the most challenging thing when it comes to raising capital. So I'd say, I'd say that the most fun thing is that there are really highs and there are deep lows. Like like the juice is worth the squeeze, but like you have to be okay with a ton of ambiguity. You have to be okay with being ghosted, with not hearing back when you think it was the best pitch of your life and you're like, what the fuck happened? I thought this was a shoe in and like crickets. And you have to like expect the unexpected. Fund is super fired up. They're moving forward. And all of a sudden, like partner on the on the investment committee kiboshes the whole deal, and like you have to look at your other. So like, it's it's exciting if you like risk and you're comfortable with living in like a super awkward gray area for a long period of time, because you know typically a fundraise takes months upon months. We did it fast, like we did it within one quarter, which was just lightning given the conditions. But the most challenging stuff, dude. I don't know. I, I'm gonna think about it for a second. But like when you were doing it, what were your biggest challenges? So George led most of ours, but the big the biggest thing is trying to 
to convince others to see the vision that we had, I think. Well, that was like a big thing because, mm. again, we wanted to make sure that... And I like how you did that, eh? How you asked the question to give yourself time. Thanks, bro. I like that. Also, fun fundraising tactic 101. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, that was like one of the biggest parts for us was trying to get others to see our vision and to try and like see what we saw. Like, you know, there's a huge problem with social media in the sense today that people want to share their honest opinions they can't because they're fair of like scared of like reprisal scared of like fucking getting canceled they're scared of something right like yeah there's so many times where even myself i don't share my honest opinions on certain things because i'm like fuck i don't want jenny from the office to know i said that like even some tiktoks sometimes i'm scared of posting some tiktoks i'm like fuck like i have a fairly like senior level job like i don't want people to see this like fucking cringe ass shit i'm posting uh, or sometimes you're you're you don't want to fucking ruffle feathers, right? Like you don't want to start a fight because you know your cousin thinks this way. You know your neighbor thinks that way. So it's like we see that there's an echo chamber online because you see, and I'm kind of rambling a little bit here, but you see a lot of people just sharing stupidity and then other people just yelling and screaming onto it. Like, you know, I remember one time they were saying, um, fuck, let me get a good example recently of something stupid that people are jumping on, but like jumping behind right now. Can't think of anything, but there's something every week. Dude. Yeah, there's something every week that people are yelling about it on Twitter, yelling about it on Facebook. Yeah, but it's like, okay, do people really believe that? Like, let's cancel, cancel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But people are like, let's oh, can cancel the national anthem, right? The national anthem is bad for Aboriginals. Okay, well, do do Canadians really fucking think that, or is that just a small percentage of people that think that? So we, that was our goal, just to like, hey, find out what people really think online. Um, it was a big goal to obviously compete against those people and we ultimately failed from a fundraising and a financial perspective but it was uh, it was a crazy journey to us and ultimately we didn't raise the funds we were looking for but we also weren't looking for half a million dollars we were trying to raise 10 20 million 30 million dollars right again dream big what, what what year was this do you remember when you were doing this it would have been two years ago oh no sorry so we started the company in 2020 we launched in early 2021. We were trying to raise late 2021 and we shut the business down. So here, here's what's, yeah. here's what's crazy about raising at that time. Top of the market. Yep. Frothiest, most grow at all costs, fundamentals out the window. We're going to pump you full of cash. We call, I call it the time of infinite bridge. Well, this was around the Inf time. What like, was that, that app um, with the, you speak in rooms? Oh, uh, Clubhouse. Clubhouse. That that's funny because Clubhouse, like, like, I mean, there, there's a lot of funny Clubhouse stories about how Clubhouse like Clubhouse raised what, like, a fucking half. A sure, but the, 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 big one, one of one of the memes surrounding Clubhouse though, and like, it's just like that, like, one of their investors kept leading their next round and marketing themselves up, which is just like the funniest thing ever. Like, ever seen Obama the meme giving himself the medal? Very similar. Yeah. Like, it's just like that's what happened, but the market has completely almost like normalized and reset over the last so. I know you're asking me about like the most challenging stuff surrounding fundraising and I'm going to get into that, but there is a very specific memory I have that I don't think I'll ever forget was when I set out to go raise our, our now round, right? The round that we announced that the $14 million one. And it was, I think it was early June of last year. And I was going to kick off our roadshow in San Francisco, had a bunch of meetings lined up with great folks that were excited to see me. They'd been living in my inbox rent-free for like a year, waiting for us to go like open the doors for, for a round. And what I also learned is that the less you communicate with folks ahead of a road trip and the less you let them know what you're up to, the more they want the deal. So like less is more, right? So I, I, I get on my flight to San Francisco. For whatever reason, Air Canada like just didn't have Wi-Fi on board. 
like classic like for whatever reason no wi-fi couldn't get anything done i'm watching like reruns of seinfeld that i had deep in my netflix like archives and i get to sfo and i open my phone and 1450 a bunch of text messages from like early angel investors and a bunch of like other ceos that i know that like are on my advisory board or like have taken me under their wing and it was this y combinator article that was circulated really widely that day about like doom and gloom the market's changing extend your runway like minimize headcount like the super doom and gloom the market is done apocalypse now kind of article and i'm like fuck this is what everyone is telling me i'm about to hit an investor roadshow why combinator is telling everyone to like stop and like pretty much like a huge like sos made a watch out markets are going to take a tumble like if you're a founder like hold on to as much cash as you can that was circulated to everybody in tech globally that day and i fuck dude i have meetings the next morning and i'm like trying to raise our round i'm like this is going to be fucking armageddon i'm going to get my face punched in I'm going to get my nose broken. I'm going to go home like with nothing to show for it. And I think I, I remember calling at the time one of our backers. I think it was Michael Litt, the CEO of Vidyard. Absolute beauty, early investor in Bear and like has taken me under his wing as well. And he was just like, blinders on, buddy. Fuck it. Just blinders on, stay hyper-focused. Good companies with good founders are always going to get funded. Like someone might be chatting like, blinders on and go and that's what i did i literally ignored the world the media tweet twitter storms everything unplugged my slack i told my leadership team if you need me like send me a fax like literally like send me a wire if you need me i'm gonna come back i'm not coming back until we have cash and like cash and bank so i think the most difficult thing about raising capital this particular time was the crazy noise about the macro climate Dude, everyone is talking about like reset your valuation expectations. Like don't raise that much capital because you're going to turn off investors. They're going to think that you're greedy when like the markets are getting bad. Um, And I said kind of, no guys, I'm going to do this my way. Like, frankly, we're going to do like the bears do. And like we have a saying at Commerce Bear internally, which is like, if you're a bear, be cool, be casual, be bear. And literally that's what we did. Like went to market. We were super cool. We were super casual about it. Um, but it was really difficult because there was a lot of noise. Everybody had an opinion, dude. You ask 10 people, you got 10 different perspectives. And as CEO, I mean, you know this, you run your, like you're in the fan business. It's your job to listen to everybody around the table. And then from that, make the decision that you think is best. You can't listen to 10 people. Some of you listen to all 10. Sometimes you're like, nah, guys, you guys are out to lunch. Like, I appreciate the feedback. I hear you. Thank you for the, thank you for the feedback. Make them feel heard. Make them feel great. And do your own thing. I 100% agree. Anyway. There, there's sorry for the TED Talk. No, man. It's like love, rambling that's here. For, but this, that's what we're here for. <laughs> my, uh, my uncle always has a good one. And whenever people talk, because a lot of times you always get people like saying that their problems are the biggest problems in the company or that yeah. this is the biggest thing. And this, this money needs to go here. And, and any boss or any like president, co-founder, owner, whatever, you got to look at the boxes. So this is one box. That's, you know, department one or shop one or person one. You got another box over here. You got another box over here. The bosses, the, sorry, the big bosses, the, the co-founder, the owner, whoever. You got to look at all those boxes. And then it's your job to determine what's, what's actually the most important or how can we, you know, manage the, the damage or how can we make the best decision based on all those boxes together. My uncle always says it because you, you hear people 
in my business, a little different. Sometimes you hear people bitch and you hear people like complain. People say, oh, we need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do that. It's like, okay, well, if we don't do that, that's, that is the least of our problems as a full company right now. Like, let's just chill for a bit. You take care of your box. You take, I'll take care of these boxes. My boss is going to take care of all these boxes and you, you'll fucking make do. And that is exactly, that's the perfect analogy for or example of what I just spoke about uh, regarding like deep alignment. If you don't have as a company, if not, if not, if everyone's not super aligned on like that top box, yep. where are we going? Why are we going there? And like, frankly, why does it matter to our customer? Then like you shouldn't be doing it. And it's really easy today if you don't understand what that top box is to be like this, this sub box or this sub project or this, this other direction is like so important to me, but like they don't realize that the arrow is going this way and the company's going that way. So like alignment is tough and getting people aligned is like the most challenging thing ever. Fortune 50 struggle with deep alignment. Like yep. everyone does. So Sam, this is, Danny, what are we at? 110. Okay. So we're, we're good then. We're um, good. Sam, we can, we'll save the rest for, uh, for part two, I want to ask this. The bear, where'd you get it? Gift from an early investor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because like I I used to say jokingly like, are you bullish on bear? Like for those that understand the markets, it's a bit of a weird thing because bear is typically not great, right? But uh, he gave it to me and he's like, Sam, I'm very bullish on bear. Here you go. Weird looking bear. Apparently it's hand carved out of wood. It's been living on my desk for about a year now. And uh, it's one of like 17 bears around the office of different sizes and such. It's pretty, it's pretty fucking funny. I love it. Yeah. Um, man, this has been a good one. This was fun, man. I appreciate it. I'm glad you came on. I'm glad we fought because we rescheduled this a couple times. I know that's, I know, I know one was you. No, that's, one that's was me. Us. I just, what, one was us though, because we, that was when we kind of took a break and went through a rebrand. We, we realigned, we had to realign. Yeah. So um, now, now we're realigned again. There's one more thing I want to add about the fundraise that I think is interesting, but if we're not good for time, I don't have no, no, to. No, we're good. We're it's, good. It's, it's, dude, it's more like a bit of sprinkle fairy dust Let's that like, it. I don't think I've ever told. And anybody who like at commerce bear is watching, this is going to love this part of the story is that the market's super tough. Everyone's chit chatting. Like you're trying to accomplish a relatively like sizable rage for the, for where we are. And like, we want, we want to like get something done that's meaningful for the business. And I'm thinking, how am I going to do this in a way that a is like super like fast. I don't want to be fundraising for 12 months. Like I need to be back in the business as fast as I can operating. And I built a Trello board. Do you know what Trello is? No. Um, it's kind of like a sauna or like, it's like, it's like a, it's like a software to manage, like to manage projects okay. or like monday.com. It's yeah, kind of yeah. like efficient, yeah, yeah, okay. right. Or, um, no, I know monday or click up. It's just yeah, like yeah. a place where you can like manage kind of a pipeline or you can do whatever you want with it. Just a more effective way than Google sheets or Excel, but you can share it with people. Like you could share and it gets interactive. So I went to our entire base of early angel investors who like are in no way, shape or form dude involved in my business day to day. They're there when we need them. Some I never talk to unless they get like the, the investor update. And I also went to a bunch of like fellow CEOs that are like, are in on my advisory board. All these incredible people that have built sick companies and like have raised tons of capital through to, through to exit. And I sent an email to everyone. I CC'd everyone, like not BCC. I literally was like, it was, like, it was an email to 20 people. Some kind of knew each other. Others were like, oh shit, he's on this list. And it was like, here's my ass guys. I'm in SF crazy article came out shit's about to hit the fan we're raising capital deck is attached i i have a trello board please view it and in the first column i need you all to add every single investor that you know that you think would be good for commerce bear and i had them working 
I had, I would go in and see real time, like all the little icons. Like I had like these CEOs and these angel investors that have families and lives and they're running huge companies at like 9, 10, 11 PM responding all to the email thread. Okay. I got this fund covered. You know, uh, Matt, can you intro so-and-so? Oh, I have a back channel. I know the partner. I play golf with his daughter. Like, and you have, we created this like wild email thread where you have like the best software CEOs in Canada, like just absolute goats who are all supporting Bear, again, rallying around that like collective mission and vision, like messaging each other. Like this thing took on, took on a life, Ricky. And they're like making intros. The Kanban board starts filling up. We're like intro made, intro coming, first combo had. Great, we're moving to third round now. Like we're now in diligence materials with the partners of the fund. And like I get an email in the thread. Oh, I know the partner at that fund. They led our series A. I'm going to make the intro. And like what happened was I had like 21 other CEOs fundraising alongside me. It was fucking wild. And if it wasn't for them, like it takes a village, dude. And that was like, and I got feedback from some of our backers, um, like not to like pop my own chest, but just like for any other founder listening is like, we set the stage last summer of what the benchmark is of how you raise a round of capital, period. Like that's how you do it as a founder. You get everybody on your team driving for it. That's it. Get everyone fucking working and hustling and like make them earn their return one day. I love it. Yeah, that's a great This was great. That's it. Honestly, Sam. Dude, thanks for having me. No, thank you. I appreciate it. No, man, this is good. Well, the next time we do this, we'll do it. We'll do an update. Maybe even... We'll do it. I guess when you... I guess you're not doing a round for a little while, are you? Or when's the next round? Um, So, TBD. We shall see. We are so... we, We have good runway to go build something really big and we're just focused on executing right now which is okay. honestly a really good spot to be in where we can just oh, focus on yeah. executing like that is a huge like breath exhale go build go do right by their customer and like if like then we'll see what we want to do when we're ready if we even need to which is like a really good spot to be in good well we'll, do, we'll definitely do this again at uh, at some point if uh, people want to find out more about you, what you're doing, and e- uh, sorry, and Commerce Bear, where can they go? How can they find you? What's the best way? Me personally? You and the business. Sam at CommerceBear.com. Okay. The business is CommerceBear.com. Um, and I check my email every 30 seconds, Socials. unless I'm on a podcast. Socials? Socials at Sam Blessing. And Commerce Bear at Commerce At Commerce Bear. I think we have 200 followers because we're a vertical software company for furniture brands that don't know how to use socials. Okay, so we're LinkedIn. <laughs> we're LinkedIn. LinkedIn, you guys. LinkedIn. Commerce Bear, we're pretty yeah. good. But like yeah. also like our customers are like furniture slingers that don't know how to use socials. Yeah, my dad. Your dad and your my dad. My dad's a beauty. He's on TikTok with me once in a while. Is he? <laughs> yeah. See, it's so funny. Like my, so my, again, I feel like our dads are very similar. Like my, my uncle... <laughs> My uncle's like very computer, like not savvy. Like I don't want to say illiterate, but like yeah, kind of. Computer. Dude, I get it. I get it. I he get comes it. Comes up to me and he's like, uh, "Rick, I, I don't, I don't want this LinkedIn thing. Everyone, <laughs> everyone, everyone asks to be my friend. I, I don't, I don't want it. I'm like, so ignore the email. Yeah, but they, they like I get more. Like I've got a lot of friends on LinkedIn. I'm like, you don't have LinkedIn. Hilarious. He's just like, they, can you just make it go? I was like, anyway, I can't. If people invite you. There's nothing I can. Just do. leave it. Yeah, my dad spent a full day setting up his LinkedIn profile one day. Couldn't set up a picture though, dude. You want to laugh? I'm my dad's admin on his LinkedIn. No. <laughs> yeah, because because I'm because like because I talk with my dad at work a bunch, and my dad's LinkedIn was like super sketchy, like no photo, 22 connections, like totally not real. I'm like, Dad, I'm gonna build up your LinkedIn, and like it looks so nice today. My dad's dad, you're welcome. His, I, I gotta set up my dad. <laughs> set up, make your parents look like beauties. It's the key. Uh, I'm gonna set up Elaine's LinkedIn one day. My mom stayed home, right? I'm gonna set up her LinkedIn one day. <laughs> what's the top? What's the what's the J, What's the job title? Uh, 
Elaine's uh, VP of acquisitions. Yeah? Yeah, at Metric. Yeah, because she obviously works there, right? Okay. Stay at home, works there. Like VP of, or uh, asset manager. VP of fun? Yeah, she's, she's got a test. she got business cards too. <laughs> line, line doesn't ring, but she's got business cards on the phone number. Ricky's number one fan. Uh, yeah, Ricky's number one fan. Dude, Anyways, thanks, Sam, thanks for having me. This, this was, was fun. This was fun. This was really good. Guys, if you made it to the end of this, we appreciate you. It's glad it's good to have Danny back. Danny's first episode back, getting uh, getting her feet wet back into things. Who knows? Maybe she'll come on camera next time. And other than that, we'll see you next week, guys. Cheers, pals. You like to drink and to smoke, to take away the pain. And I don't remember all of my mistakes and every I got alone. No one thing. And I don't I'm not alright.